How many of you like camping? Used to. <laughs> like real camping. Like I'm not talking about fifth wheel. Really? Oh, okay. You like real camping? Real camping. Off-grid camping. Tent, ground sheet, tarp, cooking over the fire, ashes in your coffee, you know, that kind of camping. What is it about camping that's just so good? Connection, spending time with people. It's a shared experience, often maybe a little bit of shared trauma, right? Like, what camping trip doesn't go off without a little bit of, oh my goodness, we almost died. <clears throat> like, that's a good camping trip. <laughs> right? I think it was the summer of 1987, I went to Crow's Nest Lake Bible Camp. Uh, this is, uh, you just get over the border, a number three highway, it's right on number three highway, there's all those lakes up there, and there's a little Bible camp that's just nestled up there. And uh, went there one summer, their youth, uh, their youth camp was a 10-day camp with a three-day out trip. So three days, we're going to just hike out and we're going to go camping. And uh, it was great, it was a sunny day to start with. It was mid-July, and then it started raining as we were hiking, because we were hiking into our camping spot, you know, when you get into Alberta, there's uh, Crow's Nest Mountain. It's this very distinct, kind of on its own mountain, and that's the area we were going to. And uh, we, we started hiking, and the higher we got, the colder it got, and then it started snowing. Okay, we're going to this as summer campers, like I'm in grade 10, I think, maybe. I mean, I didn't pack my parka or my winter boots or anything like that. You know, we layered up two pairs of jeans in the rain, in the wet snow, and we hiked up, and, and eventually the, the leaders were like, ah, I don't think we should go any higher. So we circled back down after hiking for about three or four hours. We circled back down uh, closer to the road, and we set up camp, and it was already getting close to evening. So we've been hiking most of the day, in the wet and the rain and the cold, we're soaked to the like soaked right through everything. Uh, the 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 shelters we're setting up are just a tarp on the ground, and then you know hang up, string up some tarps, uh, and make like uh, you know we, we weren't packing tents, we were just packing tarps. Set this up, and by this time, and everything's wet. It's been raining all day, so the wood is soaked. We can't get a fire going, and we're all tired. So we just all crawl into our sleeping bags without even getting changed. And then about 11 o'clock or so, the camp director earlier in the day said, we better go check on that group. <laughs> and it's a good thing they did because they brought out a bunch of dry firewood. They drove up to where they knew if, they, if, if the group would circle back down, they knew where we were going to be. And they knew exactly the different campsites that we would be. They found us. They woke us up because none of us had the energy to even eat, and we were just all sleepy. Red flag, red flag, red flag. You're all having hypothermia symptoms, right? 
Like everybody, get out of your bed, you know, get out, get out, get out, get, get stripped down, get fresh clothes on, get by the fire. They brought a bunch of wood out. And uh, the next day it was bright and sunny and the rest of the trip was fine. But that was one of those moments where it's like, yeah, I think I'm done with camping. <laughs> Shared trauma. <laughs> I don't think there was anything, I haven't experienced anything else like that yet, but uh, camping can be a lot of fun. It's, it's such a good, uh, just family building time. You really connect with people. It's, uh, I've already penciled it in with Tim for the last weekend of, of June to do another family camp up at the Pines, just a gospel chapel family camp. And so you can kind of throw that in the back of your mind um, uh, for June, but camping is so much fun. It really connects people in a way that just nothing else does, mainly because you're spending a lot of time together and there's near-death experiences. So that just really cements community. So why do you suppose the creator God of the universe chose to make his very first dwelling place on earth where his manifest presence would be with his people a tent and spend 40 years camping out with people? That's what we're looking at today. Turning your Bibles to, to Exodus chapter 40. We're in Exodus 40, the, the completion of the tabernacle and really what this is about is that God desires deeply to be with his people. In fact, this is the central message of the Bible. In the beginning, God creates the universe and a special environment for humanity in which he will be with them. And in the end, when creation is renewed and recreated, the dwelling of God will descend from heaven and will be with us. Revelation chapter 21 God's desire is to be with his people. In Exodus chapter 25 to 31, God instructed Moses exactly how the tabernacle was to be built. And there are six, thus uh, the Lord said to Moses statements that provide the framework for all the instructions about the, the, the tabernacle and how it is to be created. Six times, the Lord said to Moses, instructions. The Lord said to Moses, the Lord said to Moses, six of those. And the seventh time he says it, he talks about Sabbath. So six times God's, this is what the Lord said. Here's how you create the tabernacle. Seventh time, this is about the Sabbath. Now, what does that sound like? Genesis chapter one. Six statements ending with Sabbath, that reflects Genesis chapter one, these six speech acts describing the creation of everything in the seventh day of Sabbath, Genesis one. And here the God of creation is saying, create for me an environment in which I will live with you. Six instructions and Sabbath. In Exodus chapter 40, 17 to 33, there are also seven statements about the finished tabernacle as the Lord commanded Moses, as the Lord commanded Moses, seven times, it's complete. Genesis chapter two, God creates a very special sanctuary, the Garden of Eden, and places humanity there in the center of it to be with them. And in Exodus chapter 40, humanity has constructed a special sanctuary placed in the middle of their camp, and God comes to dwell in the midst of these people. These are connected. These stories tie together. They complement one another and they define one another. Actually, if you don't think about the tabernacle when you read Genesis chapter one and two, you're missing something. 
because God wants to be with his people. That's the heart of the biblical story. God designed creation and the tabernacle for relationship. This is the heart of God. Today, as we look at Exodus chapter 40, the finished tabernacle and the presence of God coming to be with his people, we need to have three New Testament realities in the forefront of our mind. I'm just going to read these scriptures. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt, tabernacled, the word is tent, among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So reality number one to keep in mind, Jesus is the tabernacle in the flesh. Reality number two, Ephesians chapter two, 19 to 22. So then, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself, the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his Spirit. 1 Peter 2.5, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out out of darkness into his marvelous light. Keep these things in mind as we read Exodus 40. Because today, ultimately, what we're talking about is worship. Worship. Worship is a life defined by and centered on God's holiness, his forgiveness, and his presence. Worship is a life defined by by centered on God's holiness, forgiveness, and presence. First thing we're going to look at, the worship of God centers on his holiness. Exodus 40, verses 1 to 11. Let's stand as we read this. I'll actually read all, all the passages we're going to touch on today. We're not going to hit everything in this chapter, but just some key ones. 1 to 11. Actually, we'll go from 1 to 16. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, On the first day of the month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and you shall put in it the ark of the testimony, and you shall screen the ark with the veil, and you shall bring in the table and arrange it, and you shall bring in the lampstands and set up its lamps, and you shall put the golden altar for incense before the ark of the testimony and set up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. You shall... Set the altar for burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle in the tent of meeting and place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. And you shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen for the gate 
of the court. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it and all its furniture so that it may become holy. You shall also anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar so that the altar may become most holy. You shall also anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water and put on Aaron holy garments and you shall anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them and anoint them as you anointed their father that they may serve me as priests and their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout all generations. This Moses did according to all the Lord commanded him. So he did. And jump down to verse 34 to the end of the chapter. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. <clears throat> but if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. This is the word of the Lord. First of all, it's a new day. The timing is important here. Verse 2, on the first day of the first month. Well, what is that? Well, we have to go back to Exodus chapter 12, 1 and 2. And God instructed Israel to recalibrate their calendar around Passover. That means that the setting up of the tabernacle is happening 14 days before the celebration of the very first Passover celebration after the exodus from Egypt. It's the first anniversary of God's saving work. And he said, set this up now, and I am going to come live with you. I'm going to be in your midst. My presence will be with you, and we will celebrate the Passover together. Timing is important. It is a new day. It is a new year. God is coming to live with his people. The order is important. Setting up the tabernacle, how it was all done, the placement of the Ark of the Covenant comes first from the most holy place to the outer courts. Holiness is central. Holiness is the most ornate, the most costly thing. If you go back and read, this is where the gold and the fine jewels and, and, and most of it is. And as you work out from that holy of holies, the, 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 the cost of it kind of decreases, but the holiness is the most expensive thing. It is the most costly because holiness is central. It is also the most dangerous. And holiness, God's holiness, must be treated with honor and respect. You know, there are only two things in Scripture where God specifically measures out a perfect cube. The holy of holies and the city of Jerusalem that comes when heaven comes to earth in the new creation. The only two cubes... Both are the dwelling of God with humanity. 
The Holy of Holies, the tabernacle, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, Revelation 21. Both are the dwelling place of God with humanity. This holiness, worship centers on the holiness of God. The timing is important. The order is important. The position is also important. You go to Numbers chapter 2, the tabernacle is set up and then everybody else has to set up their tents. There's like, there's 12 tribes, so there's three, six, eight, 12, north, south, east, west, around the tabernacle and everybody's tent door is to face the tabernacle. So they're all looking inward. The position is important. Everybody would see the holy cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night representing the holy presence of God in the midst of them, in the middle of their camp. God is with his people. His holiness is present with them. They can't even leave their tents without seeing the holy presence of God. Imagine waking up every day, looking out your front window or going out your front door, and every single day you see the holy presence of God. How would your life be different? Wow. That would be astounding, wouldn't it? This big pillar of fire, cloud, like you can't go out your front door without seeing God manifest. This is what a life of worship looks like. The holy presence of God is so central. What if holiness was this close? Worship of God centers on his holiness. God instructed Moses how things were to be put together and consecrated. He doesn't leave it up to Moses to figure out or improvise. God's instructions have a deliberate order and a purpose. And Moses is to anoint everything, set it apart for sacred service. There will be one use for this portable sanctuary. It is the holy presence of God that will go with his people. It must be set up and set apart according to his word because worship centers on the holiness of of God. Secondly, in verses 12 to 16, worship centers on his forgiveness. Worship centers on his forgiveness. Now, let's think about this for a moment. In verses 12 to 16, you have the anointing and the setting apart of Aaron as the priest. Maybe close your eyes for a minute and imagine that you are Aaron in this scene. What would that be like? Picture that in your mind. What would you be feeling as Moses called you and your children and began dressing you in priestly garments and anointing you with the same oil that was used to anoint everything in the tabernacle and it's got this scent to it and you're smelling this anointing oil on you. What's going through your mind and heart as God sets you apart for his service? Imagine you're Aaron in this. Now also remember what you've done in the recent past in relation to God and his commands. Remember how you lied to Moses about the golden calf? Remember that you actually took that gold, melted it down, formed it and fashioned it with a tool And now here you are, anointed as the priest. 
and you're receiving a promise that your family will be in a special relationship with God. You have failed horribly. You have led God's people astray. You have broken his very first command, and yet he doesn't give up on you. He still has a place in his purposes for your life even though you've messed up royally. He is still committed to you. He isn't writing you off. He isn't banning you from serving him or his people. He's restoring you and placing you in a position of service and intercession for other people. Because a life of worship can only flow from an experience of God's forgiveness and grace. Aaron's failures do not define him. God's forgiveness does. And so never let your failures define you. Let his grace define who you are. Past sins and mistakes should never be a barrier to serving God's purposes, ever. In fact, they should be a doorway to what God is preparing you for. Gospel projects, one of the thoughts they had in there is, even though Aaron failed and had fallen into grievous sins, the the Lord's mercy and grace would restore him to serve as mediator between God and humanity. God uses imperfect people because those are the only people available. God uses imperfect people because those are the only people available. Worship of God centers on his holy, glorious presence. Worship of God centers on his forgiveness that restores us to relationship with himself for his purposes. And thirdly, worship of God centers on his presence last four verses of this chapter. Everything is set up. Everything's anointed. Then the holiness of God that has been present in the cloud and the fire that led them, that that led them through the Red Sea, that descended in thunder and lightning and, and peals of thunder and a loud trumpet call from the top of Mount Sinai now comes and rests in the, in the camp, in the middle of the camp. And it does so in a way that is more intense than anything that has happened yet. God's holy presence descends on Moses, who has been meeting with God on the mountain, who has had a smaller tent of meeting outside the camp, who met with God face to face. The glory of God comes, and he can't even enter. The presence of God is so thick, his holiness so real that Moses can't go in. The glory of God filled their tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The glory of God went before them. The glory of God was above them. Now the glory of God was with them and would lead them and would guide them and their lives would be directed and dictated by the holy presence of God. Life would be centered on his presence. Every time you open your tent curtain, there's God. Holy presence visible every morning right outside your front door. 
And wouldn't it be nice to have such a visceral, visual reminder of God's abiding presence with us every day? There's only one problem with that desire. It's a pretty big problem, actually, to go, oh boy, if we could only have the tabernacle like it was in Moses' day. Here's the problem. To think like that would mean that God's revelation in Jesus Christ and his abiding presence in us through his Holy Spirit is less than what we read about in Exodus. To, to, to desire the manifest glory of God like in this tabernacle moment at the ex, end of Exodus 40, to, to say, oh, that would be so much better than what I'm experiencing right now would mean that when John wrote and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, it's less than what Moses experienced. And when Paul and Peter write, and you are being built into a holy tabernacle in which God lives by his spirit, church, then that means you're thinking that this is less than the tabernacle. And it's not. The book of Hebrews is clear. The tabernacle is a shadow. Christ is the reality. Paul and Peter are clear the dwelling of God is now in his people indwelt by his Holy Spirit. The tabernacle was a temporary local measure of God for him to dwell with his people, but the eternal fulfillment is in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. So take a look around right now. Something greater than the tabernacle is here. And it's happening all over the world right now. It's not stuck in one location. It's everywhere. In every church. Gathered together, where two or three are gathered in my name, Jesus said, I am present. And, and, and he's using an old rabbinical saying that said where two or three gather to study Torah, they're the Shekinah glory of God. This glory that was in the tabernacle is present. And Jesus is saying where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. Wow. That reality is only possible because of the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, because the holiness of God is still the center of worship. The forgiveness of God is still the center of worship, and the presence of God is still the center of worship, because worship is a life 24-7 centered on God's holiness, forgiveness, and presence. So what are some ways you can remain mindful of God's presence every day? Reflect on John chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2. Second question, how will you choose to live and worship because you are a dwelling place for the holy God? Like that should overwhelm us with joy and terror? <laughs> you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 
Wow. Third question, with whom will you share the good news of God's glory in Jesus Christ? Because God has restored you for his purposes. You are a holy priesthood, a royal nation, a people belonging to God, that you would declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Worship is a life centered on God's holiness, forgiveness, and presence. God desperately wants to be in and with his people so that he can show everyone who he is and how much he loves us. His glory manifests through his people who point to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the shadow of the tabernacle and the reality of Jesus. That that what we read in Exodus 40 is merely a shadow, a hint, but it's not the reality. You, Lord Jesus, came and lived among us, walked among us, died for our sins so that we could be made right with you. Lord, thank you for your forgiveness that you offer us. Lord, as we think of the restoration of Aaron and we think about how far he fell, we thank you for the fact that there, there really isn't a, there isn't a person in Scripture other than Jesus Christ who doesn't make a mess of life in some way. And yet you continue to use them, restore them, work through them, speak to them. Oh, you're a God of goodness and grace. And so, Lord, we come to you this morning because we need your presence to anoint us for your service as your royal priesthood and holy nation. a holy people being built together into the dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Lord, help us to just stand in awe of that reality. So beautiful. Lord, may our identity be defined not by our mistakes, but by your love and your grace. Lord, for those of us who are struggling with sin and and bitterness, Lord, may we come to you in repentance and and turn that over and lay that down, Lord. I don't don't know when Aaron really repented. We don't have an account of that, but you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we come and confess to you. And so, Lord, may we May we confess our sins, the ways in which we've broken your law, not loved you with heart, mind, soul, and strength, and the ways we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. Not because we fear you, but because we know that you love us, that you restore us, and that you're for us, and you want to be with us. Thank you for your word to us this morning. May we live lives of worship 
centered on your holiness, your forgiveness, and your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand for the benediction from Hebrews chapter 13, 20 to 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.